seated. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we pray today that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be found acceptable in your sight for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In your worship folder today, you'll find a, what looks like a rather lengthy message outline compared to most of them I've shared with you. Uh, that's just because they're just plain simple so much to talk about. Uh, at least wanted to have you have some of the Bible passages in your hand. As I said before, I'm going to share a message with you today that might actually offend some of you. And I say this because this subject matter today is one that is not often popular in some churches. Today I'm going to talk about money. And I make absolutely no apology whatsoever in advance because I feel very safe and I feel very secure standing on the Word of God when it comes to this subject. So, let's talk about money. Or talk about giving or stewardship, whatever you want to call it, since the Bible is actually a book all about giving. In fact, the Bible talks more about giving than it does about heaven or hell. Jesus talked about giving almost more than any other subject he talked about. In fact, almost half of all of the parables of Jesus have some stewardship point, something about giving. There are over 7,000 promises in God's Word. And there are more promises in God's Word about giving than any other subject. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, Paul talks to the people there, the Corinthians church, even as maybe he would want to speak to us today, he said, just as you excel in everything, and he lists some things, he said, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, he says, see that you also excel in what? In the grace of giving. Isn't that interesting that he would use those words together? Excel in the grace of giving. Now, I want to put this into a little bit of perspective. You know, if you've got a, a, the Bible on computer like I do, you can do a lot of interesting word searches. And if you looked up, I just picked four key words from the Bible. I picked up the words believe, pray, love, and give. And what I discovered was this, that the word believe, at least in the NIV, is used 272 times. That's a lot. The word pray, or its form, is used 371 times. The word love is used 714 times but the word give is used 2,162 times. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means. It may mean absolutely nothing. But what I know from reading my Bible is that God is a giver. God is a giver from day one. Gave us this world, gave us our life, gave us all that we have, gives us all that we need. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. He gave us his son. I also know that the Bible says that we are to be like him. That's why we need to remember that giving really reveals our spiritual maturity. That's why I want to start by sharing today with you seven reasons why God would want us to be givers. I'm going to go through these pretty quick, but number one is simply this. Giving makes us more like God. In John 3:16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he what? 
gave his only begotten son. Now, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Christians are to be the most giving people in the world. Because why? Because they should also be the most loving people in this world. Here's the second thing I would say about giving, and that is that giving draws you closer to God. You ever think about that? Giving draws you closer to God. In Matthew 6.21, familiar words to most of us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where would you like your heart to be, friends? Where would you want your heart to be? I'm going to tell you that wherever you want your heart to be is probably where you're putting most of your time, talent, and treasures. I want to suggest to you that when you're giving back to God, you're drawing closer to Him. Number three, I I think the Bible talks about giving as an antidote to materialism. It's an antidote to materialism. We live in a very materialistic world. I mean, I I understand that, having traveled all around the world. I, I remember after living overseas for three years and coming back to the United States, I was flat out amazed to see how wealthy this country was, where people own a house in one place and have a big truck to pull another house to the place where they vacation in their house. We live in a materialistic world. You don't believe so? Walk through your house and count your telephones. Anybody here have only one pair of shoes? Probably not. I mean, how many televisions do you have? Maybe more in your house than you have people to watch them. You may have more cars in your driveway than you have people to drive them. We have a lot of stuff. And you've heard me say before, if you don't think you have stuff, move. (laughs) We found that out six months ago. We have stuff. Well, I think the only way we can know if we're having victory over our stuff is if we're willing to part with it. 1 Timothy, Paul is talking to the young man in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, Command them to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they may take hold of the life, that which is truly life. Now, there are a couple of things I want to focus your attention on. Notice he says, command those who are rich. Now, I'm not going to ask you this. I mean, I could say, how many of you think that you're rich? And most of you would probably, well, you want to raise your hand. You don't want to be embarrassed or whatever. But I'm going to tell you, friends, everybody in America is rich compared to the rest of the people in this world. You're rich compared to the guys I work with down at Louisiana State Prison who make anywhere between four cents to 20 cents an hour and may work 12 to 17 hours a day. You're pretty wealthy compared to them. Come with me to India. Come to church next Sunday when Anand Thandu stands in front of you and talks about children of faith ministry in the orphanage and find out how much money they operate on. Most of the people in this world would love to have your problems. Most of the people in this world would love to have the bills you have, partly because you also have the ability, for the most part, to pay those bills. I've been in places in this world where people's biggest worry is, will they have anything to eat today? 
Will they be able to feed their children today? Will they actually be sleeping under some shelter tonight should it rain? So when it says, command those who are rich, friends, I think we need to understand this is talking to you and me. And yet Paul says something also I find very interesting. He says, everything is given for your enjoyment. Did you get that? Everything's given for your enjoyment. All he's saying is okay to enjoy your blessings. I mean, I sat last night. This is called multitasking. I was watching football on my 42-inch flat-screen television with the sound down, working on my sermon, which is on the laptop sitting on my lap in front of me, listening to the Nebraska-Western Michigan game on a computer that's sitting behind me. And I was loving every minute of it. I was enjoying it. I'm saying it's okay to enjoy what God has blessed you with, but thank God for those blessings. You know, praise God from whom all blessings flow, but be willing and be generous to other people. We make a living by what we get, but friends, we make a life by what we give. Number four, giving strengthens my faith. I mean, God says that the way that you and I kind of demonstrate our faith is by giving back this first part of our income. In, in Luke chapter 6, in, in Luke 6, 38, it says, Give, and it will be given back to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I love that. Have you ever tried to outgive God? You can't do it, folks. God says, I dare you. Let's see how much you want me to bless you. I mean, bring me a cup, I'll give you back a cup. Bring me a bigger cup, give you back a bigger cup of blessing. Back up the dump truck, guess what? I got a bigger dump truck than you of blessings. The measure you use is the measure you're going to get. Now, sad to say, and I say sad to say, there are churches across America that just don't get this. They can say it, they can preach about it, but they don't really believe it. They don't really believe that God will take care of them. I got 63 years, folks, to tell you he does. Some of you have more years than me. God does take care of you. Number five, giving is an investment in eternity. I always love what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, have you ever seen a U-Haul trailer in a funeral procession? I have done a lot of funerals in my life. I've never seen a U-Haul trailer in one of them. You can't take it with you. But I've also learned that even though you can't take it with you, you can send it on ahead. And you do that by investing in people who will be there someday. I'm going to go back to Anand Thandu. Anand will be with us next Sunday at the 10 o'clock service. Anand has made a trip all the way from Vishakapatnam, India, to be with us next Sunday. He will give you, he will give this church an opportunity to invest in the lives of some young orphans in India that you may never, ever see again this side of heaven. But that's one way that you can invest in eternity. Here's number six. Giving blesses me in return. I told you before, there are more promises about blessing than anything else. I, I just give, let me give you a few. I, I, the ones I can think about are the book of Proverbs. Proverbs talks about them. You know, a generous man will himself be blessed. 
Uh, a generous man will prosper. One who refreshes others will be refreshed himself. Goodwill will come to him who's generous. The Bible just goes on and on about how God blesses us. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that if you put money in the plate, you're going to have a bag of money on your step tomorrow. How God chooses to bless you is God's business. And God may bless you with good health. He may bless you with good weather. He may bless you with good crops. He may bless you with a good family life. He may bless you with, who knows? Let God bless you with what God wants to bless you with. He, after all, he knows what you need, not what you greed. Here's number seven. I love this one. Giving makes me happy. Jesus said something that we, parents have kind of repeated for years at Christmas time, particularly when we don't have any presents for them. You know, Jesus said, there is more happiness in giving than receiving. Again, I am not so sure that we really believe that. Because I think if we really believed it, we would be far more interested in being giving people. Carl Menninger is a noted psychologist, psychiatrist. He said, giving is the criterion of mental health. And then he said something that's always stuck in my mind. He says, generous people are rarely mentally ill. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's a psychiatrist. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. Now, put another way, the healthier you are, the more unafraid you are to give it away. The more you hang on to it and are afraid to give it away, guess what? There's fear in your life. And may I suggest to you that you may not love Jesus as much as you thought because doesn't the Bible say perfect love casts out fear? Well, let me move on to a different subject here as long as we're talking about giving. What does the Bible teach about tithing? You've heard that word from me almost continually since I've been here, and yet I know that some people don't even know what it means. My second church, I remember for a couple of weeks I put in, in the worship folder, we will now wor worship with our tithes, T-I-T-H-E-S, and offerings. I never said anything about it. I just, you know, the time came, there was music playing, the ushers came down, gathered the offering and tithes. One week, uh, a dear old lady who had been a member of the church for, you know, 800 years, came down and says, Pastor, what is this tithy I keep reading about in the bulletin? I said, oh, the tithy. <laughs> and so we had to explain tithies to her. Well, tithe means a tenth part. In the Bible, God tells us that we are to give the first 10% of all we earn back to God. Giving less than 10% is not tithing. Now, you might also be wondering, what's the difference then between a tithe and an offering? Well, an offering is anything you give in addition to your tithe. Now, I'm also going to give you eight reasons why I think you ought to tithe. It's all biblical. Let's run through them. First of all, God commands it. You can find that scattered throughout the Bible. Leviticus 27.10 says, A tenth of all you produce is the Lord's, and it is holy. That tells us that the first 10% of everything we earn, God considers to be holy. Now, anybody know what holy means? It means to be set apart. In other words, not to be used. Now, you know, we could stop right there. God could have said the first 90%. Could have. He just said 10. I don't know about you, but just because God says it, that's enough for me. But I'm going to give you a few more reasons anyhow. God not only commands it, but Jesus commends it. Did you know that? In Matthew 23, Jesus actually commends the Pharisees on their giving. 
it is the only time in the whole Bible that Jesus basically says anything nice about the Pharisees. He said, yeah, you should tithe, and you shouldn't leave the more important things left undone either. Here's number three. Tithing demonstrates that God has first place in my life. That's what Deuteronomy 14.23 is about. It says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. Is God number one for you, friends? Now, we probably shouldn't say number one because, you know, watching college football the other day, I know they got the top 25. I know that Georgia's number one. But I know if you got a number one, you got a two, a three, a four, a five. And I know that when number one isn't very popular anymore, they put another number one up there. That's why God said you should have no other gods. There's nobody else on the list. How can you tell whether God is first in your life? I think if you gave me five minutes alone with you, I could figure out what was number one in your life. I'd only have to look at two things. Your calendar and your checkbook. I could probably come pretty close to knowing what was really important in your life. Where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money? That's what shows what's first more often than not. Fourth thing is tithing reminds me everything was given to me by God. Deuteronomy 8.18, Old Testament. Always remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Now, I, don't, I was going to say whenever I write a check, but I would be lying to you. I've probably written less than 20 checks in 44 years of marriage. Uh, I married a, a CFO. Um, I may be the CEO, but she's the chief financial officer. So I'm gonna, I, I should probably rephrase this. Whenever my wife writes a check and I'm aware of it, <laughs> how's that? It always reminds me, God, everything I have comes from you. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't have anything. A couple of weeks ago when we closed on a house that we bought in Bedford, I did write a check. I remember looking at that check. It was a pretty sizable check. And I remember thinking to myself, I would never be able to do this if it had not been for how God has blessed me in the past. And after our daughter and our grandson moved into that house, we stood in the garage and we joined hands, the four of us, and we thanked God for the blessing of that house. And Josh said, and I thank God for blessing Grandma and Grandpa that we could have this place. That's what giving does. That's what tithing does. Here's number five. Tithing expresses my gratitude for God for the blessings he's given me. Go back to the book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 116, verse 12, asks the question, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? How can I possibly repay him? Well, Deuteronomy 16, 17 gives you the answer. It says, each of us should bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Here's number six. Some of you won't like this one, but God says that refusing to tithe is stealing from him. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Refusing to tithe is stealing from him. Malachi 3, 8 and 10. Uh, this one, this is the section of scripture. I'm going to be real honest with you. I, well, the first time I ever read that, I shut my Bible and said, I'm never going back to that page again. 
You ever do that with Bible passages? You, you're kind of reading along, all of a sudden one of them wangs you right between the eyes. You kind of go, uh-oh. You know, you, you, you're tempted to tear that page out. It was a long time before my wife and I ever figured out that this is what God was asking us to do. I could talk to you about stewardship all day because, quite honestly, I think my wife and I have tried every method known to man. You know, when we were first married some 44 years ago, we were just teenagers, 19, 17 years old. We'd always gone to church, and we'd always given something. And so we went to church the first time. We knew we had to give something. And what we gave, I figured, was the Lutheran tithe, $10. You know, I had the number right, just didn't have the percentage right yet. I gave $10 because Grandma and Grandpa had always given $10. And, you know, I've also sat in church on Sunday, and the collection plate was coming down. I've done this one. I've reached in my pocket to see what I had. And if I had a 20, a 5, and three ones, I can guarantee you the three ones were going in. Because I needed that 20, and I needed that 5. I remember the days when, on, on a Sunday morning, we'd play who knows where the envelopes are. We couldn't remember where they were, but we knew they were somewhere. And then we would do this game. My wife would be shouting from the other room, who needs money this week? Anybody need money for gas, money for school, whatever? We'd figure out how much money everybody needed. Then she'd ask how much money's in the checkbook. And then we'd say, we'd take kind of a margin. I can remember writing checks and hoping that the church didn't cash them for a couple of days. But I also remember the day when my wife and I said, this is bogus. What are we doing? We're, we're piddling around. We're, we're, we're just tippers in God's kingdom. I mean, we give a waitress more than we give God by percentage. And we just bit the bullet one day and said, we are going to tithe. And there's never been any turning back. And I tell you, it's one of the best decisions we have ever made as a family. It's one of the best things we ever taught our children. It's one of the best things you could teach your children. See, it says, God says, will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me. And you ask, how do we rob you? And, and he says, in tithes and offerings. He said, bring the whole tithe, not a third of the tithe, not a quarter of a tithe, the whole tithe. See, when we use money to pay bills we ought to be tithing with, I think God would say we're robbing him. That's a tough one to swallow right there. Here's number seven. Tithing gives me a chance to prove that God really exists. You know, that tithing gives me the opportunity to find out whether he really exists and, 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 and also that he wants to bless me. This is one of the most amazing promises in the Bible. God actually dares you. Remember that movie? I think it was called The Christmas Story about the little kid who wanted the BB gun. Why did that kid finally put his tongue against that frozen flagpole? Because somebody double-dog dared him. This is God's double dog dare, folks. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe to my storehouse. He says, test me in this. I double dog dare you. And see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven, the floodgates of heaven, and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room for it. He said, and then I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will be protected from plagues. That is the only place in the Bible where God says, you want to prove that I exist? Okay, tithe. Of all the things that God could have chosen as a test, why did he choose money? Money. 
money. It's all about the money. Why did he choose money? I'll tell you, it's because most of our life revolves around it. Making it, earning it, saving it, giving it, sharing it, spending it. So God gives us an acid test. He says, I dare you. Just see if I won't fulfill the promises I made regarding tithing. I remember a couple who came to see me one time and they said, Pastor, you finally wore us down. We're going to start tithing. But we don't know how this is going to work. And I said, I said, well, let's sit down and talk about how much money you have. And we, when we took the 10% of it, they both looked at me and a bot had a heart attack. And I told them, here's the deal I'll make with you. When the plate comes around Sunday, don't put it in the plate. Put it in your envelope, but hand it to me at the door. And I'm going to hold on to your check until Wednesday. And if I don't hear from you by Wednesday, I'm going to put it in the treasurer's box. But if you call me before then and you think you need the money, I will tear up your check. No harm, no foul, huh? They never, ever called me. I remember the Sunday when they came by me and the wife says, we got nothing for you today, Pastor. It went into the plate. I dare you. Number eight, tithing proves that I really love God. See, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. Some people, though, and I'll be honest with you, there are some people, probably even our own denomination, who would tell you that, that tithing is an Old Testament law, doesn't apply to the New Testament. Uh, I disagree. It's not an Old Testament law. I mean, Abraham was tithing 400 years before Moses ever got the law, for heaven's sakes. It's really an Old Testament principle. It's really a life principle. In 2 Corinthians... Chapter 8, Paul says, I want you to be leaders also in the spirit of cheerful giving. This is one way <clears throat> to prove that your love is real, that it goes beyond word. A couple more questions. What should I tithe on? What should I tithe on? Well, again, the Bible is so amazingly clear. It says the first part of what I earn, not the leftovers. It says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part. I'm going to share another personal example. In March, my wife and I, or probably before March, in February, we sold our house in Maple Park, Illinois. We made some money on that house. And we decided since we made money on the sale of our house, what do we do with it? We tithe on it. And so we figured out what 10% was of the money we made on the sale of our house and we gave half of it to Lord of Life and gave the other half of it to First Lutheran Church. Now, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that's, you know, when you make money, you know, some money comes into your life strangely and mysteriously. Have you thought about tithing on that as well? But what should I tithe? Well, the Bible, again, says the first part. Well, where should I give my tithe? I've listened to this argument a long time. Uh, the Bible is clear about this, too. I tithe where I worship. That's where I tithe. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the full tithe, the whole tithe into my storehouse. Now, in the Old Testament, the place of worship was, was uh, called the temple. In the, in the New Testament, they call it the synagogue. They call it the church. You bring your tithe wherever you worship God. Now, when you give to other ministries outside the church, that's fine. You ought to do that. I mean, Nancy and I contribute to Children of Faith Ministries. We 
give some money to Christ for India, other places like that. But that's not tithing. Those are offerings. So following the Bible's commands, our tithe, the first 10%, where does it come? It comes to this storehouse called what? First Lutheran Church. How about when should I tithe? Well, pretty simple again, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, set aside some of what you earn, give it as an offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. What's the first day of the week? Sounds to me like Sunday. Where do you do on Sunday? You go to worship. That's where you give. And parents, could I suggest that you learn to teach your children that as well? You know, when your kids aren't old enough to figure out 10%, why not give them three boxes? One that says, save, give, and spend. And then give your kids 75 cents and, you know, a quarter to save, a quarter to uh, give, and a quarter to spend. Now, they're not old enough yet to figure out they're tithing at 33 and a third percent. Uh, but it's a visual way to see I don't spend all my money. I know that one because the first allowance I ever got, I remember asking for an allowance once when I was a kid. I got the same answer I gave my kids when they asked me for an allowance. I said, the allowance I'm going to give you is I'm going to let you live here for free. That's your allowance. But I finally wore down my grandparents, and they decided to give me 30 cents a week. Now, of course, this is back in the Bronze Age. And every Saturday, I would hold out my hand, and they'd put three dimes in my hand. And they said, it's 30 cents, right? I said, yes. And my grandma would then take one dime back. She says, that goes in the church plate tomorrow. Took the second dime. She says, that goes to Sunday school. She says, now, don't spend the rest too quick. And I used to look at that dime. Now, I'm going to tell you, I bought my first baseball glove. cost me 3 bucks, 10 cents a week at the Western Auto. I learned to save that. Well, okay. Last thing, give with the right attitudes. You know, the Bible says attitudes about giving are a whole lot more important than the amount. Uh, just a few things. In it. Give willingly. That's what 1 Corinthians 9, 12 says. For if the willingness is there, your gift is acceptable. See, it's according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. When God looks at our giving, God doesn't say, oh, gee, that looks like chump change to me. God doesn't look at it and say, well, that's not as much as the person who gave who's sitting next to you god's not looking at the amount he's looking at the amount you have left over in proportion to what you gave he said everyone should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under pressure and so as your pastor i want to relieve a little bit of guilt this morning because i think a lot of pastors and i hope i haven't done that this morning but i think a lot of pastors kind of beat people up on this one but i want to relieve a little bit of guilt i want to tell you this never ever never give under pressure don't let people pressure you or kind of drive you by guilt to do this the bible says you're to do this willingly lovingly it's lord what can i do kind of response and remember we are never putting money in a plate on sunday to meet the budget i hate that we are not giving to meet the budget we are not giving to make up budget deficits. You know, we give because God says so, whether the church needs it or not. I don't care whether the church needs my money or not. It doesn't make a difference. It's not the church's money anyway. It's God's money. I want to invest in the kingdom of God, First National Bank of Heaven. See, the issue is I need to learn just to give for my own benefit. The second thing I tell you, just give joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. I, I saw this bumper sticker once it says god loves a cheerful giver but he'll take it from a grouch too well 
I don't know, that's bad theology. Now, the Greek word for cheerful is where we get our word hilarious. But today, you know, when we take an offering in church, sometimes it's, it's less than hilarious. But I'll tell you, friend, if you can't give your offering, if you can't bring your tithe cheerfully, don't bother. Don't bother. Work on your attitude first. And when your attitude is straight, it'll follow. Third thing I suggest is just to give generously. Second Corinthians describes a really interesting church. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Can you imagine being the pastor of that church? They begged to give. They begged. They gave beyond their ability. People said, you know, people have asked me before, they said, well, Barry, what if I can't afford to tithe? My response is you can't afford not to. If you want God's blessing on your whole life, then obey what he's commanded. Number four, give expectantly. I love this one too. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. I'm going to make a big assumption that the farmers and the ranchers in Texas are like the farmers and the ranchers in Illinois and Nebraska. I think of a farmer in my former church. His name is John Olson. John's about 75 going on 80. John told me this one time. He says, Pastor, if I had a tough crop last year and I only had a few seeds, never will you ever hear me say I can't afford to plant these few seeds. He said, I can't afford not to plant those few seeds. He said, I got the choice of eating those seeds or planting those seeds. And it's only by planting those seeds will I have a harvest. That's exactly what God says, friends. God says, if you want a big harvest, plant a lot. If you want a little harvest, plant a little. How you plant is how you reap. It's up to you. Last thing, what's the key to all of this? What's the key? I think the key is in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. It says, they first gave themselves to the Lord. I think that's the issue there. If God owns me, God has to own all of me. And honestly, if God owns all of me, he owns my wallet. If he doesn't own my heart, he doesn't own my wallet. I need to first give myself to him. Now, I think we all know how that works. We really don't do anything on our own. Those of us who have been Lutherans long enough know that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. We can't buy God off with our tithes and offerings. We can't really come to him on our own. That's why we need to reflect back on what God did for us. Before we were ever born, God designed this world. God designed a place for you to worship and serve him. God brought you into this world for a purpose, and God had a plan for your life, the same plan he's had for everybody who's ever been born into this world, and that is that you would come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ, that you would reach the point one day that you would understand that your sin has created this mammoth divide between you and God. It's like the Grand Canyon, and I don't care how good a long jumper you are and how fast you can run, you will never jump across that Grand Canyon, but boy, do people try and they plunge to their death. But it's Jesus on the cross who literally bridges that great divide. And it says that whoever believes in me will not perish. We won't plunge to our death, but we will have everlasting life. 
something I remember reading a long time ago. It might have been Martin Luther who talked about how we are such beggars. And we don't even have enough sense to raise our own hands. And that God literally puts it in our hands. He's the one who called us by the gospel. I don't know how you came to know Jesus. I mean, some of you came to know Jesus when you were just a little itty-bitty baby, when somebody walked you to the front of the church. And God, and God said through that pastor, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And somehow between the water and the word, God lit the pilot light of faith in you. Thank God for your moms and dads and your godparents. They didn't do it. They brought you here. But it was God who created that faith. Some of you may have come to faith a little bit later when you, who knows, maybe you watched Billy Graham for all I know. Maybe you were at a concert and somebody said, you know, will you do this? And what's happened is the Holy Spirit's been working and you came forward and you stepped across the line. You did exactly like what we sang today in the song at the offering. Take my life and let it be. Consecrate the Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days, you know, let them flow in ceaseless pray. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. That's our loving response to the great love that God has shown us already in Jesus Christ. We can give willingly, cheerfully. Why? Because we first give ourselves to the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just give you thanks and praise for the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus. I know personally that if it were not for intervening in my life, I certainly would not be standing here today. I know that there are other people gathered here today that had you not moved by the power of the gospel, by the call of the Holy Spirit, they would not be here either. We'd be so far apart from you. We might think we were basically good people, but we'd still be apart from you. So we thank you for godly people you sent that told us about Jesus, that told us about the plan of salvation that talked about the wonderful promises that God has for us and our family and for those who are far from you. I thank you for bringing me and all others into your family. Lord, we need to ask ourselves, what can we do in response? Not, can, not what can we do to be saved, but what can we do now that you've saved us? How do we say thank you? So many ways. It just starts with saying thank you. But it also continues with how we serve others and how we respond with the good gifts that you've given us. Lord, we can make a sudden impact in this world as individuals and as a church. I pray that you will use this church, First Lutheran, to make an impact not only in this neighborhood but in these cities, in these counties, and around this world, not for our sake but for the glory of your name and to the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen.